Hello and welcome to the Sports Hour on Brewmank Live on Live FM. Great to have your company on this Friday afternoon. We've got a big show coming up with some special guests. We'll hear from our resident philosopher Charlie Gill as always, Patrick Morrow for the news and also Isabella Collins coming on for the weekend sport and the AFL finals ahead. We also have our special guest Mick McGuan who is a former Collingwood and Carlton footballer and also the Herald Sun football analyst. So a great time to have him and we're very lucky uh, that he could come on the show. Starting off today, we're going to uh, introduce our polls. Uh, the first one is who should win the AFL Goal of the Year. We've got a former winner, Mick McGon. He was a former winner of the award and uh, we'll hear from him speaking about it later on in the show. But Feel free to jump on our Twitter page at SportsHourFM to give us your thoughts. The candidates for goal of the year this year are Josh Dacos, Jack Nunes and Patrick Cripps. All pretty good goals and uh, it's a tight decision. It's uh, not easy to make. So jump on our uh, poll at SportsHourFM to give us our thoughts there on the goal of the year. Our other poll for the show is who wins the AFL Premiership. Uh, it's it's uh, it's an interesting year. It's uh, the the premiership window's been wide open, uh, so jump on that. Give us your thoughts, and uh, throughout the show, we're going to be hearing from a number of our guests and uh, speakers about that s- specific topic, the AFL premiership. So uh, let us know throughout the show, and uh, feel free to jump on our Twitter page at Sports Hour FM to put your vote through. Without further ado, we'll go to our news of the week, and uh, we welcome Patrick Morrow. Thanks, Max. It's an absolute pleasure to be on. It's big news in the world of sport. Let's get on to it. Well, let's start with the French Open with Novak Djokovic defeating Lithuanian player Ricardo Bengales in straight sets. It only took the Joker 83 minutes to win the match. The Joker will now play Colombian qualifier Daniel Gaylar. On the women's side of the draw, Sofia Kennan came back from one set down against Romanian player Anna Bogan to win in three sets. Here's what Kennan said post-match. I'm really happy with this win. It's always tough to play first match at a major. Um, yeah, conditions weren't the best. It was it was really tough with the courts and it was raining and we went inside and then it started raining again. So yeah, conditions weren't easy at all, but I'm just happy with the way I competed and found a way to win. Um, even though I was, I didn't feel like I was playing my best tennis, but of course she was playing really well, but I'm just happy to have gone through the first round. That was Kenan speaking to ITV Sport. Now to the NBA. Well, the Lakers have taken a 1-0 lead over the Miami Heat in the first of seven games of the NBA Finals in Orlando. LeBron James and Anthony Davis starred in the blowout win, with Anthony Davis having 34 points and LeBron having 25 points. Here's what LeBron said post-match. I think in the beginning that we were um, physical enough. Um, and you Actually, you, you have to get a feel for how hard Miami plays. Um, and I think... Um, you know, they smacked us in the mouth, and we got a sense of that. And so we knew how hard we had to play if we wanted to try to make it a game. And, um, you know, from that moment when it was 23-10, we started to play um, to our capabilities. We started flying around. We started getting defensive stops in. We started sharing the ball a, bit, uh, a lot better offensively and just got into a really good groove. And it felt great. It felt great. I've been preparing for this moment for quite a while. Um, and fans, no fans, um, the inner challenge for myself and the way I prepared myself, it felt amazing to be playing in the finals once again. Uh, the best teacher in life is experience, and I've experienced moments in my career, um, finals games, 
where you had all the momentum in the world and you felt like you had the game under control and one play here or one play there uh, could change the course of a series or change the course of a game. And um, one in particular that always rings home for me um, is game two of the 2011 finals in Miami versus Dallas. Um, D-Wade hits a three right by their bench. Uh, I believe put us up either 13 or 17. And from that moment on, Dallas went on a hell of a run and finished it off with a Dirk Nowitzki left-hand layup to, to steal that game. That shit burns me to this day. So... I always talk about the best teacher in life is experience, and I've experienced a lot. So that's what prompted me to be who I am today, is being able to have those experiences. That was LeBron James speaking about the win to ESPN. Now for some soccer news, where the AFL Cup has seen Arsenal defeat Liverpool on penalties, while Stoke City defeated Aston Villa one goal to nil, with Sam Vokes scoring the goal in the 26th minute. Stoke will now play Tottenham in the quarterfinal. Finally, some Aussie Winter Olympic news. Brisbane is going to be the home for the aerial ski team with a ramp built at the Brisbane Sleeman Sports Complex. It costs $6.5 million for the build of the ramp and will be perfect training for the flying kangaroos who normally train in Europe this time. And Max, that is all your world sport for today. Back to you in the studio. Thanks for that news update, Patrick. Now we're going to go to our special guest for today's show, the Herald Sun football analyst, former Collingwood and Carlton footballer and Goal of the Year winner in the 1994 AFL season, Mick McGuan. Hello, Mick McGuan. Welcome to the Sports Hour. How are you going? Yeah, terrific. Thanks, Max. Thanks for having me. No problem. Great to have you on. And uh, what did you make of last night's qualifying final between the Geelong Cats and Port Adelaide Power? I didn't think there was much in it. Obviously, Port Adelaide got the result they were looking for. On the back of their brilliant third quarter, where they dominated contest and clearance and territory, they're able to keep the ball inside the Ford 50 and manufacture a buffer within the game. Conversely, I thought Geelong were much the same in the second quarter, where they dominated territory inside 50 numbers, but they couldn't convert their chances to only win the quarter by two points. And I think that's where the difference was. It's Stanley hitting the post in the first quarter that was a clearly gettable shot. Hawkins finishing the game with five points, albeit probably two or three of them were difficult shots from a boundary. But also he had chances on those little 45-metre angles, one with a set shot drop punt. And then I couldn't believe for the life of me that he wanted to kick a left foot snap at that stage of the game. That was an important shot at goal. I just think it just reeked of taking the pressure off irrespective of the result. Yeah. And I just felt, um, yeah, Port Adelaide on the back of an outstanding third quarter probably deserved the win in the end. But I don't think there was much difference between the two teams watching the game from the, from the land room. Yeah, it, it sounds like uh, it came down a lot to the goal kicking. And what do you think needs to be done within all these AFL clubs to sort of improve it? Because in this game, Geelong, you could argue that they lost the game because of the goal kicking. Yeah, and that's been the um, message probably with Brisbane Lions, and we'll find out tonight whether they can master their demons in front of goal. Uh, they've kicked 12 goals, 34, in their last two losses against the Tigers, so they're getting scoring shots. But as we know, probably one of the most unheralded and under, 
underutilised statistics in footy is conversion. Uh, you have to take your chances. Uh, it doesn't get often spoken about as much as it should. And I think from a footballer's perspective in the modern game, particularly over the last five or six years, goal-kicking practice has become a um, first thought of coaching staffs or players themselves to take the responsibility that comes with it. Practice and rehearsal to get the right repetition. Uh, the performance is clearly important in this stage. You know, they get fatigued by getting up and down the ground, but with your 30 seconds to summon up the courage and the mind strength and get the right routine to kick accurately the goal, it's got to be practised and rehearsed and done over and over again to make sure you get the right mindset when you approach these situations. We can't replicate the pressure of any game because of the crowds, not being a training, but the more you rehearse your routine, uh, the more technically you become attuned to what you've got to do and then it comes down to having the faith that you can convert those chances it, it always I always hear that um, it's widely said in the industry sort of that goal kicking was better in the old days and um, you know people were just more accurate all the footballers do, do you think something's changed um, between when you played and uh, and to now I think it's just more the, the lack of practice to now because they put other weight of priorities on recovery and um, maybe brand sessions and micro-group training. But I just really think that when you reflect, you hear stories of Tony Lockett, Jason Dunstall and uh, different players that have kicked multiple goals and go back to Peter Hudson previously, they put a huge weight of what their role was within the team and they had to gear their training around what their responsibility was. Now, four forwards there to kick goals and finish the great work from the players up the ground. But nowadays, you hear about it with five or six-day breaks. Uh, there's not a lot of time for goal-kicking practice due to fatigue. You can only have 30 or 40 kicks yeah. going into the next training session, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I see that a bit far-fetched because, you know, Buddy Franklin signs a big contract on the back of being a potentially 100-goal goal-kicker. Tom Hawkins in today's age, no different. But last night we witnessed Tom Hawkins failing under pressure to convert those chances, something he's historically been pretty good at. But last night he had an off night. And I know that he would be doing an enormous amount of work to rectify those wrongs and get rid of those demons going into the next game, irrespective of who they play. But I think as a general rule of thumb, they just don't practice as enough as what the Dunstalls, the Lockins did in previous eras. I watched Dacos and Brian Taylor in the yeah. 90s, late 80s, um, when I was playing with those two guys. They would certainly have a lot of practice shots at goal, either pre-training or post-training or in their own extra night to make sure that whenever they got the chance to kick a goal for their team, they could go back on the back of good routine, good rehearsal. They'd be comfortable in their own mind that they could seal the deal. And while we're speaking about uh, goal-kicking and Dagos, what do you think, uh, as a former uh, Goal of the Year uh, winner in 1994 with that fabulous goal, arguably one of the best goals in, in the game's history, but what do you think of uh, this year's Goal of the winner, goal of the Year winner? Uh, the nominations are Josh Dacos, Jack Nunes and Patrick Cripps. If you've had a look at them, I'm sure you have. What, what are your thoughts and uh, views on who should win it? I think they're all different. Dacos' ability against the Sydney Swans on the boundary line to weave through, kick a banana um, and have an understanding of space 
is very clever in itself. Uh, the Nunes goal was clutch, had to do it. Yeah, the result was all pending on that last kick. Yeah. And the Crips' um, ability to win it, then evade and then finish uh, was another great goal. But if push come to shove, based on the circumstances and the responsibility, if you come with that kick, I'd have to go with Jack Nunes. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's going to be an interesting the way the way it goes. It's yeah, Jack Nunes. It was a quite an impressive clutch goal. Uh, yeah, but that'll be interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, what about Josh Dacos? Do you, do you, do you feel like he's uh, he's close behind uh, Jack Nunes in that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Josh's goal was a beauty. Just the uncanny awareness, very um, similar to his dad, who could understand space and understand understood exactly how much space he had to work into before he had to make a decision of the shoot or look for a teammate in a better position. And he's just balanced over the footy, spatial awareness, to execute a banana on the run after being fatigued. Um, just goes to show how classy and how much young Josh has come on in his footy. He's playing terrific stuff, um, a brand of footy on the wing for Collingwood at the moment. Um, he's certainly getting up and down the ground by... Um, Steel side bottom and Tom Phillips did in 2018, and he's certainly fitting hand in glove in that role. But I also see um, greater personal growth in his game. Um, he's defending the ground strongly. Um, he's strong in the contest. When you see those attributes on show as a winger, I've got no doubt in time we'll see him in the centre square very shortly because he's clean. He doesn't fumble. Generally makes good choices with it. So I think that's the next progressive step in his play to become a starting on ball and knowing full well that um, Scotty Pendlebury and Steele Sidebottom and these types of guys aren't going to be around forever. This season, who do you think will win the AFL Premiership? Have you come down to a team? Uh, I was sort of in Geelong and Richmond's corner. I thought they'd two play off, but last night's result was a bit of a hump in the road, so they have to have the they have to play the long the long game now, Geelong. Um, they're still in control of their own destiny, of course. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight. Uh, but this year could throw up so many surprises. You just don't know who's going to play next week. You just don't know how many injuries they're going to get uh, in game or in a training week. And those little moving beasts that footy becomes in 2020 are very challenging to get your best out in the park on a week-to-week basis. So it can all change in the space of two weeks. But right now, on the back of last night's result, you'd have to say... Port Adelaide are in the box seat. They're the first team into the preliminary final. They've got a healthy list. They might have some players that they can look at coming back. Todd Marshall, does his shoulder uh, keep him out for a couple of weeks? Who knows? Um, it's Georgiades. He could be a ready replacement. So they've yeah. got really good depth at their disposal. The biggest question I had over them probably six or seven or eight weeks ago was their undersized defenders. And even that was on display last night. It's just that Geelong can take their chances. You know, Tom Hawkins took more marks inside forward 50 than what Geelong uh, Port Adelaide did as a, as a playing group. Um, Harry Taylor did a pretty good defensive job on Charlie Dixon. A lot of accolades will be given to McKenzie because he kept Hawkins' goals. But the reality was he still took a lot of inside 50 marks. And he just kicked them accurately for goal, having six scoring shots, kicking five points and one eight before. Mm. So I think Geelong, Chris Scott would be too concerned in the view that um, they didn't play at their absolute best, uh, but they were still in the game and created enough opportunities to score, but they didn't. Brisbane play uh, Richmond in a qualifying final tonight, Friday night footy. Uh, how much of a home ground advantage 
do you think Brisbane will have these final series and and how, how do they beat Richmond tonight? Um, the home ground advantage is always um, nice, but it doesn't get you the job done. Uh, you still got to work towards winning the game of footy by believing in your brand and putting your brand out there on display. And we, one thing we do know about Brisbane, uh, they're a good contest team, um, they're a good clearance team, and on the back of those two fundamentals getting right, uh, they're a good territory team. Uh, they won't try to change the way they play at all. I suppose the little nuances within the game are going to be important. We know that Richmond like to roll up a high half forward, whether it be um, Lambert, for example, to get an extra number around stoppage. But I suppose the greatest challenge for Brisbane is what they do in that situation. Um, I'd be advising Chris Fagan to ensure that they keep their six forwards at home and don't try to equalise the numbers around the stoppage to just make sure you um, get those equal numbers around the Lambert uh, because if you win the ball at a stoppage and you invite a high half forward to come to that stoppage, it means you're one forward down when you go forward. I think you've got to really get your forwards to stay connected to Gloucester and Grimes and Asprey and Hurley and these types of boys that like to um, dictate field position, set up the ground defensively. If you've got six forwards at home, you're going to kick the contest more often, which creates um, potential to mark, but also not allowing Richmond to mark because they want to turn over game and on the back of winning the ball back. That's when they get their coast-to-coast transition footy going. So that's really important as far as I'm concerned. And the other angle is how will uh, Brisbane's defenders, and I'm talking about their general defenders, their running backs, uh, how they handle the speed of... Castagna, Rioli, Arts, Lambert, Dusty Martin has been a nemesis for them. They've got no Lynch, Jack Rewald is basically their only key forward with Chole. So it'll be really interesting how the slower defenders for Brisbane handle the quicker forwards for Richmond so they don't get goal side and kick those goals out the back, which could be could be telling by game's end. That's a great analysis of, uh, of the game tonight. I think, yeah, as we spoke about earlier as well, the goal-kicking will be vital for uh, Brisbane. How about uh, the, the Saints and uh, Bulldogs game? Do, 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 you have, uh, do you have the Dogs, do you think they've got the best midfield out of all the teams in the finals? And can they repeat what they did um, in 2016? Do you think they're capable? <laughs> uh, yeah, they're capable because what we'll see in this game there's a contrasting styles between the two teams. St Kilda a kick mark on control, whereas the Doggies, they're a handball team that like to keep the ball in motion and flick it around and share the footy and chain it out of congestion and force the opposition to defend. If there's any failure by the opposition to defend, that's when the Bulldogs get the game on their terms. Mm-hmm. To answer your question about their midfield group with Montepelli, McRae, um, Young Bailey Smith, Hunter, these types of players, Libertore's at his back, back to his brilliant competitive best. We know that uh, they're as good as anybody, uh, but I would suggest they got the best in the competition. I think the biggest challenge here in this game is to see how much maturity and aggression that Tim English has got into his game since he was really disappointing against the combination of Ryder and also Marshall when they met earlier in the year. He was comprehensively beaten. Um, the Kilda. Ruck combination with their mids went to work. 
I think it was a 22 to 5 hit out to advantage differential back then. If that happens on Saturday, it's a kill to get their want through the middle of the ground. Um, it'll be very difficult for the Western Bulldogs to win this game of footy. But I think English, on the back of more exposure, being challenged, figures have um, quite often by Luke Beveridge. We've seen a change in his makeup and the way he plays. So I'm really excited about sitting back to see whether or not young English has improved his competitiveness because he needs to in a final. He can't put out display when he did early in the year when the ruck combination has clearly dismantled him. Yeah. Yeah. And the the, the Pies, the, the Mighty Magpies in uh, West Coast, that's a big game for Collingwood. Uh, they've got a tough task up there. What? How important is Grundy for Collingwood's midfield? And what does he need to change going into this week? Does he need to be more aggressive and ruthless, insert himself in the game more and dictate play? What What are your thoughts on on uh, on Grundy? Yeah, he's. Um, it's super important that he gets aggressive because uh, the game and the game of footy starts and stops with the ruckman and the midfield group. Uh, you can win or lose based on your performances in there. Um, Brody Grundy, who was. Australian Ruckman in 2019. It's been replaced by a successor in Nick Nat Newey this year. And coincidentally, they go up against each other in a cutthroat final. So that should um, be enough inspiration um, to change the way you've gone about your footy in the home and away season because he hasn't been at his best. I think everyone recognises that. Yeah. But this is a game where I think Brody, Brody can rise to the occasion. He's got to jump in and at Nick Nat Newey at the centre bounces. He's got to find his feet on the back of that ruck contest quickly. He's got to get the appetite back to win ground ball, to support his midfielders, to block paths for them potentially, but also to become a clearance player himself. That's when he plays his best footy, which then adds on to his score involvements, which have gone down this year because he hasn't done what we just spoke about. I think the other thing that's got to change is Ruckman have a tendency to get a long way back at boundary throw-ins now and run towards the footy. Yes. Quite often, Brody Grundy finds himself behind the opposition Ruckman. Therefore, it's losing the potential um, opportunity there to get first use of the footy around boundary throw-ins around the ground. I think Brody Grundy can really reassure himself by getting front position. That puts the opposition under some um, decision-making processes where... Does he try to outreach Brody Grundy because he's behind? Does he try to grab and give a free kick away? I think he can be much more assertive by a field position in a boundary contest from a throw-in by finding front position. And then you're not coming at the footy at as much speed, so you haven't got brick hands to actually direct the footy towards a penalty or a Taylor Adams or whatever midfielder. And I'm sure might be in there. Yeah. But I just think um, he's got some work to do on his craft and also his field position and his recovery around um, boundary and centre bounces and ball ups around the ground because we just want to get him back up the footy and that's when he plays his best. And what else do you think needs to change for Collingwood going into this game and and overall what you've seen throughout the year? What what needs to happen? What what are the changes? Because obviously where they're at at the moment probably isn't going to win a granny. So do you have any have you have you do you have any thoughts and strong strong views on that? I think gotta be ruthless around the ball, Max. I agree. Yeah. Um, that's where the game of footy will be won and lost. 
know, they've got to be really super competitive. They can't allow West Coast Eagles to walk out of stoppages or congested situations with no pressure with the forward line they've got. Because rough and more as good as what they've been as potential tall defenders, if the ball comes in far far too easily, Josh Kennedy and Jack Darling and uh, possibly Oscar Allen, they'll have a feast. Um, or get separation and then hit the scoreboard. So it's really important that uh, the pressure at the source is at an all-time high. Yes. But also they've got to match that with winning their own ball by getting good territory and then making sure they make good decisions going inside to their own Ford 50. Yeah. They eliminate the high ball to take away McGovern and Barassa's strength in the air, knowing full well that Cox does like a high ball. So that could be a bit of an interesting way that the game unfolds. Yep. Cox and I check are in okay form. But if you kick it in high, do you serve up or do you concentrate on the strength of what you've got in front of the footy? Or do you bring the opposition because they're good at the high ball um, defending it? Um, you play to their advantage. Interesting to see if Chris Main comes back into the team. Does mm. he play a defensive role in that forward line that he's done before to negate the influence of a very experienced McGovern who disregards you as a player if you go to irrelevant positions on the ground. He just reads the game so yeah. well and says, well, it's not going there. He can go there. I'll just go where the footy's going to land and impact the air. So I think there's a lot of things that Collingwood get right. I think the other most important thing is get that balance right of when to go slow and when to go quick. Yep. I think Collingwood have looked a little bit stifled at times this year when they've gone t- too slow too often with yep. ball in hand. I think they've got to take more risks, get some more run from behind and get, generate overlap handball, changing angles with short 45s so they can get in, pierce their opposition zone defence and get it over and get into that backspace as quickly as they possibly can or into the 1v1s to give them a chance to hit the scoreboard. Absolutely. And I, last question, I think the connection between the mids and forwards has been an issue. Do you think, as you said there, um, they need to be a bit more, take a few more risks? That's obviously one part. Do you also think the ball movement's been an issue? Too much sideways movement and not enough direct direct ball movement and, as you said, that faster movement? Yeah, it's interesting what you're calling. They're, they're a go-back team before they go forward. Yeah. So either by hand or back release to put a player into space to kick or sometimes they like to use what we call U-shaped ball movement, go back and around the opposition um, zone defence and get to the open side of the ground to penetrate. I like Collingwood when they actually take risks, turn and go, play on, increase their mark percentage, play on for mark percentage so they can play at more rapid speed. On the back of that, we know they make some mistakes with their decision-making, their execution. But this is where the players behind the ball then have got to attune themselves to the game and identify a turnover quickly and then reference where's a dangerous space, where do we cover that exit, or where's a dangerous opponent can be covered so the opposition don't successfully get the next chain of event. Uh, right, because you've fallen asleep with your concentration levels to set up the ground, get strong field position, or even defend the opposition's most dangerous player who's going to be involved in that next chain. So they've got to get a lot right, Collingwood, but I think they'll give themselves every possible chance because I think they're as good as anyone when it comes to the contest stakes. They defend the ground really strongly. It's all about how they use the ball and how they connect with their forwards, whether they can actually get the result or not against the West Coast Eagles. If they get all three right, they'll be in this game right up to their next. Fantastic. Thanks as always, Mick. Uh, great insights there, and uh, thanks for coming on the Sports Hour. No worries.
boys. Good on you, Max. Cheers, and we won't we won't talk about West Coast. We don't want to give them any uh, any uh, in, insights going into the game. We hope Collingwood gets up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Eagles are a good team, mate. They're long. The players coming back in their team. There's no question about that. They'll be looking to continue on their uh, magnificent run at home. I think they're seven from seven at home this this year. Uh, they're hard to beat at home. It's a fortress they've created. But uh, no better time to strike, as far as I'm concerned, being a Collingwood supporter. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Mick. And uh, as always, a pleasure to have you on and uh, greatly appreciate it. No worries. Good on you, mate. That was Mick McGuan, Herald Sun football analyst, former Collingwood and Carlton footballer, and a uh, Goal of the Year award winner in the 1994 AFL season. Just a friendly reminder, if you haven't voted on our Twitter page, at SportsHourFM, on our two polls for today, who will win Goal of the Year award and who will win the AFL Premiership. So jump on at SportsHourFM, our Twitter page, and put your vote through. Now we're going to go to our special segment for today. Uh, landed in Adelaide on Tuesday, so I was lucky enough to go to the Adelaide Oval to get some of the thoughts of Geelong and Port Adelaide supporters before last night's game. Uh, so tune into that as that will begin right now. So you got, who do you think will win today and why? Hopefully Port. Uh, yeah, Port. And uh, who you hit by how much? Four goals. Four goals, all right. What, are you worried about the Cats or you think you'll get them comfortably? Yeah, I'm, a little, I'm a little bit worried, but... Yeah, anyway, if we lose about 10 goals last time, you know, you're obviously if, worried. If we, if we can keep Hawkins on lock, then we'll be all right, I reckon. Yeah. And Paddy. Awesome, and Paddy. All right, what about Charlie Dixon? Yeah, he needs to, he needs to kick it back. Big to, chuck um, wagon. He needs to get the Dukes up. I'm a neutral supporter. I'm a St Kilda fan, but I actually think the Port will get it done. Yeah, nice. I think they will. Yeah, sweet. Cheers, Are you a supporter? Uh, I'm, I'm biased. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <hey>. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Uh, what do you think about today's game? Who do you think will win and why? Oh, no, it's going to be a wicked game, but I think the power is going to just make it over yeah, line. Definitely. And who's going to who's going to kick it back tonight? Uh, hopefully Charlie. Definitely yeah. Dixon. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely Charlie. Hopefully. And what about what about the Cats? Who, do you, who are you trying to stop tonight? Oh, uh, Hawkins got to get shut down. Yeah. And the midfield. Someone's got to shut Hawkins down. Midfield's got to go down. Danger and Ablett's got to be shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we've got to win in the midfield. Can do that for us. Yeah, definitely. And anything else for tonight's game? Oh, just calm the power. Let's go. So. How are you feeling in Adelaide today against the Crows, uh, against the Port? Sorry, how, how do you feel? Uh, yeah, feeling pretty good. I think uh, I think we're gonna get up. We've got a good record against them um, from previous matches. So uh, yeah, yeah. And it's gonna be a great match. And have you travelled up here to watch it? Um, I'm from Adelaide, so I'm an Adelaide supporter. Um, yeah, I've been Geelong ever since I was a kid. So, and yeah. <laughs> who, uh, what are you hoping for tonight, players-wise? Who do you need to stop and who needs to play well for the Cats? Oh, I hope Tomahawk uh, kicks a few goals tonight and yeah. uh, they really shut down Charlie Dixon again. So, yeah. yeah, well said. That'd be stuff. good. <laughs> All the best. Thank you very Cheers, much. May tonight out of ten. Eight. Eight? And who, who needs to play well for you guys? Oh, the whole forward line. Yeah. Good. And uh, how long have you been a member waiting for this moment? Oh, about three or four years. Awesome. All the best. How confident are you out of ten tonight? Uh, about six. Six. Who needs to fire up then for you guys? Who? Yeah. Oh, I think we just need to control them in, the, in their forward line is the main thing. Yeah, stop that... Hawkins. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, great. All right, have a good night then. No worries. Cheers. All right, and that was some thoughts from the Geelong and Port Adelaide fans before... 
last night's uh, qualifying final between the two teams, and uh, it was interesting to catch up with a few fans and get their thoughts before the game. Now we go to our weekend sports segment, where we hear from uh, all the biggest sports and all the big events coming up this weekend. So starting off is the Brisbane Lions facing Richmond in a qualifying final tonight, Friday night footy at 7.50, so you can catch that game tonight. The St Kilda Saints will face off against the Bulldogs in an elimination final on Saturday afternoon at 4.40. That's a big game, and uh, a game just as big as that is the second qualifying uh, elimination final between West Coast Eagles and Collingwood on Saturday night at 8.10 over in Perth, Optus Stadium. That's a big game, Uh, Collingwood. Are the other underdogs, and uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. Moving on now to the NRL, where the first final will begin of this season, where the Panthers will face off the Roosters in the qualifying final at 8.20 tonight. Uh, The Raiders play the Sharks tomorrow at 6.10 in an elimination final. The mighty Melbourne Storm face off against the Eels uh, on Saturday night. That's a qualifying final at 8.20. So hopefully the Storm get up there for the Vicks. And on Sunday at at 4.35, the Rabbitohs will face the Knights, the Newcastle Knights, uh, at 4.35. So that'll be an interesting clash and uh, plenty to watch there finals-wise. To the NBA, the the NBA final, uh, the Lakers got up in the first game, as we heard uh, earlier in the show from Patrick. Uh, But the next game, game two, will be tomorrow morning at 11.30. And that's game two, so... The Heat uh, will be wanting to win that game to level the series, uh, or the Lakers can uh, get up 2-0. So it's a big game. Uh, It's going to be interesting. The Lakers could do this very quickly. Or the Heat, as we've seen, they've been playing very well. They can come back strongly and uh, put up a good fight against the strong Lakers outfit. So that'll be an interesting watch. Uh, And Game 3 is on Monday uh, in that series. So you've got tomorrow at 11.30 and on Monday at 11am. The Australian women's cricket team, they start their ODI series, uh, three series, three matches, sorry, in the series against New Zealand, uh, and that begins tomorrow at 10.40, so uh, that's that's exciting. Uh, Australia have come off a, a great series against uh, the New Zealand in the, in the T20 series just earlier where they won 2-1, uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how they go now in the ODIs, and uh, that'll be on Channel 7, so you can tune into that. To the IPL uh, tonight, it's the Chennai Super Kings facing the Sunrisers Hyderabad. Uh, it's a bottom-of-the-table clash where uh, both teams sit on one win and two losses. So uh, there'll be plenty of fans out there hoping that their team wins this because... The loser will uh, will be one win and three losses in bottom of the table, so that'll be a uh, uh, that that'll be right on that clash. It's going to be uh, important for both teams to win, so that's one game to watch. But that wraps up our weekend sports segment. Uh, plenty to watch. Uh, you got the NRL and AFL finals, the NBA final, uh, and plenty more. So tune into that, and uh, that should be keeping you fairly busy for the weekend to watch some sport. Now we're going to go to our resident philosopher, Charlie Gill, to chat a bit about our poll results. Uh, the, the, the polls will still be running uh, 
uh, over the weekend. For so feel free to jump on any time at Sports Era FM. But we welcome Charlie Gill, resident philosopher. How's the day going, Charlie? Oh, not bad. Uh, not bad. Hatsy just um just been working today, but always got time to put aside to uh discuss uh, the big issues with you uh, every Friday. So always look forward to it. Great to be here. Absolutely. Great to hear. Now, we're going to talk about three different things today. we got yep. our two polls, which we're going to discuss. So if you haven't voted out there, listeners, feel free to jump on our Twitter page. What's the, what's the uh, handle there, Charlie? Who's the, the, uh, the handle? The, the sports hour. The sports yeah. hour. Spot on. Yeah. So that it's at yeah. Sports Hour FM. Jump on, yeah. put your vote in, and uh, get around that. And the two polls are, we'll get to them. We'll also talk about the players and coaches most under pressure uh, in the AFL. So we'll start off with the first poll, which is who should win the AFL? Who wins the AFL Premiership? We got Brisbane, Richmond, Port Adelaide, and other. So the other teams are West Coast, Geelong, Collingwood, Western Bulldogs, St Kilda. Yeah. What do you think? I still think that the other day I was thinking about it and I, I, I'm not sure if I was I'm right now as confident as, as I was in that moment. But I thought to myself, I've never before been, like I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but I've never been so confident about a team's chances. And that team I was thinking about that was Richmond. Yes. Because... I just think everything's going for them. The deck, I think, on Gabba suits them. Tonight's, I reckon if Richmond win tonight, then I just I would bet a lot of money on them winning the grand final. Um, because if they can beat Brisbane on the Gabba, then they can beat anyone at the Gabba. The deck suits them. Um, if it's sort of slippery conditions at night, that's just slippery nighttime conditions. It seems to me sort of synonymous with just the way, to use a big word, with the way that... Um, Richmond play and their whole style of um, their tactics and strategy, etc. Um, combined with the fact that they've won two of the last three grand finals, so they know how to play in big games. Um, they've just got that confidence about them. I just think they are going to win the grand final. Um, but it's going to be interesting against to see who they play. Um, obviously, I'm not uh, I'm not ruling out anyone else winning at the moment. That'll be yeah. a pretty big call. But I just really think that they are the favourites in a massive way. Yep. And uh, the viewers agree with you there. 50% think Richmond, yeah. 30% think yeah. Port, 10% Bridget, yeah. Brisbane and 10% other. Yeah. Who do you reckon's the other team that's going to contend with Richmond? Yeah. They're, they're obviously, well, there might be more than one team, but who, who are yeah. some of the other teams? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I reckon everyone the whole year, and this is sort of always happens every season, like Port haven't always been good, but Whenever they win games, everyone's just like, oh, they only went at home. They're not that good, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, I've always, I've always, you know, I reckon I've always backed them in. And um, I reckon they're pretty good. And I reckon they proved that last night. Like, they got smashed during the home and away season by Geelong by 60 points. And they clearly looked at the game and tried to say, you know, saw what they needed to fix and they fixed it. And they, you know, won. They didn't win by that much in the end, but they were the better team the whole night through. Um, and they got the win and now they're in a prelim um, they're going to be playing at home so I think I think if I had to predict a grand final it would be Richmond versus Port Adelaide um, 
uh, yeah, that, if, to make a call right now, I'd say it's Richmond versus Port. And the um, best, the best, most fun to watch game in the home and away season this year was Richmond versus Port, Port Adelaide um, at Adelaide Oval. That was so fun to watch. So oh, that would yes. be a good grand final. And that game, um, but yeah, that's who I think. That's who I think the second Brisbane also. But uh, uh, I, I find I, I get I forget more sort of. I think Port is a little bit more consistent. Um, I reckon they'll stand up um, in the heat more so than Brisbane. So yeah, I reckon Port are that other team. Yes, and uh, it, it's it's going to be that game. The, the Port Adelaide Richmond game was an absolute ripping game. And the Port fans last night and in that, in that game against Richmond earlier in the year in the home and away season, the atmosphere at the Adelaide Oval is outstanding with the Port fans. And uh, the viewers today are yeah. lucky enough. They're going to get a, a bit of a glimpse, um, if they haven't already, of uh, the Port Adelaide fans before the game. But the, the supporters are just... It was a tremendous atmosphere last night. And what gets them going... And I encourage the umpires to, to stuff up their decision-making <laughs> because it really fires up these Port Adelaide supporters. And it's, it's a great atmosphere. But, um, yeah. yeah, look, look. obviously I don't, I don't encourage the umpires to muck up. But, geez, it created a big spark in the last time Richmond and Port yeah, Adelaide well, I don't, I don't even think I don't even think that was in that game, to be honest. I think Richmond got a lot of good decisions going their way. So... Even when the umpires don't, um, even when the umpires don't uh, make, even when they make good decisions, like the most obvious holding the ball decision, the Port Adelaide fans are still going to be rabid at it. Like they're still just going to go crazy because they just it's what they do. So, so um, yeah, you're right. The atmosphere would be great. Yes, and to the goal of the year now. What are your thoughts? Yeah. You got Look, know, Josh Dacos. He's banana. Yeah. Against Sydney, you got Jack Nunes. He's dropped punt on the widest of angles on the 50 meter arc, clutch goal straight through. And you got yeah. Patrick Cripps weaving yeah. through some traffic, look, running towards look. forward 50 and kicking an, a fabulous drop punt. What yeah. are your thoughts? Well, obviously, there will be accusations of bias coming my way, considering two of the. Um, players are Carlton players and the other ones are Collingwood player. And I think that Josh Dacos will win. Um, I think he will win. I don't wow. think he deserves to. I don't think he deserves to. Yes, yes. I okay. think that Jack Nunes deserves to win. Well, firstly, let me, I'll just touch on Cripps' goal. Cripps' goal. Firstly, I think both Cripps' goal and both Nunes' goal are more difficult. The, the series of play, both the kick and what leads up to it, were both a more difficult kick than Dacos's. But... I'll put Cripses to the side because what I really want to talk about is Nunes' goal and why I think Nunes had the best goal of the year. Nunes' goal was the most memorable goal of the year. Without doubt. I mean, obviously, there might be some incredible goal in the finals. In terms of the home and away season, Nunes' goal was the most memorable. It was the most meaningful because it was after the siren and it was literally, like they say, the game is on his boot. The game was literally on his boot. Like, it was four yeah. points. Up just in, depending on whether he kicked it or not. Sounds obvious, but I'm just saying it was the most meaningful in that way. It was the most clutch, obviously, and I also think it was the most difficult looking yeah. at each kick. Dacos's is obviously very Before hard to Before you get to, to Dacos's, the one thing yeah. I didn't... It's sort of a bit of a side note here, but the one thing I didn't like about Jack Nunes, and it, 
it sort of it leaves a funny feeling in my stomach. <laughs> yeah. The fact that he should have kicked that goal from about sixty meters out. Um, that that really yeah, yeah, places yeah, yeah. me and it frustrates yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did get. But, he did, we we definitely he definitely got lucky there. Like everything went his way. The gods were smiling upon him. But yeah. um, like I reckon you just got at the end of the day he had the kick. Like all right. I don't know what the umpires made their calls. At the end of the day, he was in that position. It probably should have been Gibbons' kick. But at the end of the day, yeah. this man got the ball. And what he did with the ball is incredible. Was, this, yeah. this kick, this goal was, and I've looked, I've, I've done, I, 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 I can say this with like conviction in myself. Um, Jack Nunes' kick was the second best goal after the siren of all time. The best ever was, you know, um, Malcolm Blight, which is in the 70s, I think. Um, he that was against Carlton. You know, it's like famous kick. He it's got to be seen to be believed. Like he it was yeah. a torp from like seventy five meters out of Princess Park. Um, <laughs> but Jack News is the second best of all time in terms of the difficulty of the kick. Like it's so hard to do. The angle, the, the broadcast angle doesn't do it justice. There's other angles from people on the boundary line holding their phones, um, filming it that does it more justice. You can see how tight the angle was and how hard it is to kick a drop punt like that with the amount of pressure on him. Like, honestly, the second greatest goal after the sign of all time. And I think because it's the second greatest goal after the sign of all time, it should be rewarded with goal of the year. Look, we had a bit of a chat about this last night on Twitter, a bit of a rant. But uh, look, I actually, I agree. I, I think Jack Nunes deserves it. Be- because <laughs> the only thing though... Is, it just leaves a funny feeling in my stomach, as I said before. The decision yeah. mate Gibbons should have taken the kick. It should have been at least five to yeah. ten meters further Look, back. It, it really yeah. leaves a funny taste in my mouth Look. and Look, a funny yeah. feeling in my yeah. stomach. But yeah. Yeah. but he yeah. deserves it's, it because it was. Yeah. You're right. You, you've explained it very well. Well, I, I know what I know what you mean. Like at the end of the day, he shouldn't have taken that kick. Like it just it shouldn't have happened. Yeah. It should have been Gibbons, and it should have been further out than it. Than, it, than he kicked it from. But, you know, it's yeah. just what happened. And, and what goal comes second yeah. after Nunes, as you think? Josh Dacos or Patrick Creeps? In terms of the results, um, as I already said, I think Dacos will win and then it'll probably go Nunes and then Cripps in terms Why of... Why do you think Dacos the will one, win? Two, two. Because I just think that if Carlton fans vote, they're going to split the vote between Nunes and Cripps. And... Um, I don't know. I'm just always pessimistic about Carlton's chances than anything. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, um, but I think the second best goal, like, again, I reckon I'm biased again, but I would probably say if Cripps and Dacos swap jumpers, I would say Dacos is the second best goal. But I honestly, I sort of reckon Cripps as well. It was, like, it was so uh, he, he put it behind the back. It was the most, the most beastly thing I've ever seen. And it was just got the handball back. And then it was sort of like, I mean, we're, we're playing a terrible game and he's been, people, people have said underwhelming all season, but that was just like a good example of what yeah. he can do. Just like literally an animal, like, like a bull. Yeah. Look, it was, it was super impressive. And I'm actually, I, I need to watch him again because I've watched him a few times already, but. Who do you reckon comes second? Well, Josh Dacos's goal in this in the context of the game, fourth quarter, in the context yeah. of Collingwood's nah, yeah, yeah. season, yeah. in the context of their where they're sitting, where the club's at, they haven't won a premiership since two thousand and ten. Yeah. 
they've struggled. Now they've sort of they're expected yeah, nah. to to challenge you for a premiership now. Yeah, yeah, it was a massive win and they needed that because if you lose to Sydney, who finished lower down the ladder, it would have been who knows how the season could have played out and yeah. they probably would have missed finals. So, But Patrick Cripps' goal was, um, especially because they were getting pumped um, and and Patrick Cripps did yes. that. That was, um, that was quite impressive in that stage yeah. of the game. They were down by like 35, 40 points. Um, yeah. So it was yeah. So it's really tight. Uh, I, I it's tough. I I'd probably just edge towards Dacos just because of the yeah, time no, of the I, game I, yeah. and the, the. I think I agree he, with you there. And yeah. and it was a snap. It was a it was a banana a banana snap as well, yeah. which is tough. Yeah, I'd say Nunes then. To me, I'd say Nunes and Dacos and Cripps. Mm. Now, yeah, we encourage our voters, uh, our listeners, to jump on and vote. Um, those two polls are running. That's for the AFL Premiership, who should win it and who should win the AFL Goal of the Year. Um, now we're going to move on, Charlie, to uh, the players and coaches most under pressure. Give me your thoughts on this topic. Okay. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, just to clarify... Were you referring to players and coaches most under pressure in this final series or just throughout the whole competition? Are we speaking... The whole competition, just in general. All right. Well, that's a different question. It's a different different question. But um, in relation to the final series... (laughs) What was your question then? What what was the question you wanted to answer? (laughs) This conversation, sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, um, uh, yeah. Well, I'm just thinking, because it's the final series, I reckon we should probably keep it relevant to finals. Like, we don't need to bother ourselves talking about the clubs languishing in the bottom tents. Oh, yeah. As, yeah, yeah. as pathetic institutions. Let's just talk about the big boys. So, <laughs> um, yes. so yeah, but in that question, though, that, that's the thing, though, because if you've made finals, like, sort of, you've already sort of got one of the monkeys off your back because um, like there'll still be a, a few others there, but one of them is gone um, uh, because you've made finals. And like, that's, that's sort of step one. That's sort of the first boxer tick for any club in any season. Um, but I guess people will say probably Chris Scott and Geelong and maybe even Paddy Dangerfield. I mean, Chris Scott's got a grand final. He's got a premiership. Um, in 2011 and he's like won quite a few finals they just keep on losing in prelims but I can probably guess how people would say he's under a lot of pressure like this has been another good season for Geelong like if they get eliminated in straight sets then you know it would be pretty disappointing for everyone and people might say Patrick Dangerfield as well because he's such a gun and people seem to sort of propagate this narrative of him going missing in finals which I don't really think he does but um like he didn't have a bad game last night, and I, to my recollection, there's been a few finals where he's um actually dominated. But he probably has gone quiet in a few. But um yeah, some people say there's a lot of pressure on him because obviously great players want to win premierships, and he seems desperate for a premiership as he should be, as all players should be. Um yeah. so yeah, I mean I can see how you would think that personally. I don't really think they're under that much pressure when they've had a good season already. But yeah. considering they've lost in the amount of prelims they have, yeah, they, I reckon they would be feeling uh, quite a bit of added pressure onto the 
normal level of pressure they would already feel being involved in the final series as every other club feels. But yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And for I, you? I think Dangerfield. And, and for me, I, I've got, I think Scott Pendlebury, he, he's a star. He's a star. Um, but the last time he won a premiership was in 2010. Um, I probably shouldn't single out Pendles, but. Well, look, Buckley. He's a captain of the club. <laughs> um, and and he yeah I, I, I think he's the sort of player he's at the level now where he can take his game to that that extreme level and uh, he's he, pretty he old can, though how old is he well he's past he, his peak he he is he he is past his peak well argue well you can argue that but you can also argue that he's been playing his best footy so. Um, yeah, he he he's thirty two years he's old. Yeah, he's, but he, he's born he's on playing, the seventh of January, nineteen eighty eight. He's playing. He's As playing his best footy though. And um, yeah, look, I'm probably being I'm probably being a bit harsh here. Um, he his disposals do go down in finals. Hold um, on, I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got a good suggestion for the most pay under pressure. Hang on, let me finish on Pendles. Pendles' average disposals. It's not all about Dozzies, but it's gone down slightly for finals games. Yeah, but I think he's at the point now, but it's not just him. A lot of it is Collingwood as well. So it's it's Collingwood that's probably under pressure to, to try and do something. They've had injuries, but they're just... They're under the pump. The next season is going to be a big one for Collingwood. Um... But even this yeah. year, they, this year they're expected, you know, they they're they were expected this year to do to you know challenge for a premiership. Next yeah. year will be massive for them. But you know, Pendles is getting older now. Thirty, he's thirty two now. Jeremy Howe's getting older. He's about thirty. Still side bottom. Right. So yeah, tell me yours now. I've just I've got a question. Is still side bottom playing in the finals at all, or isn't he? No, which is he isn't right. No, he, he's not. <laughs> he, he, one last final thought to leave you with this. He is the most under pressure player in this final series, and he's not even playing in it. Because <laughs> yeah. if, if Collingwood lose, and they lose in a close game, in which perhaps um, West Coast um, got on top in the midfield battle, which they probably will because they've got a really good midfield. Um, they lose close and it might be down to the midfield and Steele isn't there, then I think um, Steele can cop the blame for the loss. <laughs> well, your giggles no, are very cheeky. Um, <laughs> but but I, um, I like... I like I'm, I'm I, half joking. I don't mind I'm it. Joking. I don't mind your opinion there because yeah. I was in quarantine Look, I'm just last week. I'm sort of trying to go... Keep going. <laughs> I was in quarantine <laughs> last week in Darwin, right? And yeah. I was sitting there and I actually sent Steel Sidebottom a message via Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> All right? Yeah. Now, not many players check their messages. Most of the time, they just delete them from my knowledge due to, unfortunately, fans just uh, abuse them. Due, and um, a perfect example yeah. of that was Dylan Grimes. Um, yeah. Yeah, because their sports bet multis don't get up or... Something, yeah. something, uh, you know, crap like that. Um, but yes. anyway, I, I thought I'd make the effort. I'm in Darwin quarantine as I was last week. And I thought, yeah, look, I'm in quarantine here. I can go for walks. I can go for runs. All yeah. it has to be with is a mask. 
and I can do those two things. I can stay active. I was doing my That's amount good. of steps per day, keeping fit. And I thought, okay, this is perfect for side bottom. He's not going to go to Queensland mm. because you can't run very much in a, in a small room, but you can come up here mm. to Darwin. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to reassure him that this is a good place. Um, and then I read an article maybe the day after, and it was a bit of a pity that he decided to stay at home. Now this is personal circumstances, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to say much Mm. about it because I don't know the full story, but obviously he just had a kid, which is fabulous. Uh, But yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Look, he's had a tough year. I'm not going to lie. And a tough year from what I know, which is he, you know, he had that incident off field incident. Um, Oh yeah, I forgot about and that. And broke COVID-19 protocols and had to stay on the sidelines um, yeah. for a while. Look, yeah. Yeah. I was and, being uh, asked Yeah, quite... I, I, it's a good point you raise that he's under pressure. Look, uh, but he's made this being... decision. It's a personal decision. Hmm. Well, I was being quite, I guess, provocative. I was taking a few sort of notes from my idol, Kane Corns, and I thought I'd throw something out there that, you know, might ruffle a few feathers, which is why I made that suggestion about Sidebottom being the most under-pressure player this final series. Wow. You know, you can't really blame someone for uh, being present at the birth of their child. Um, however, this does sort of set us up for an interesting discussion next week, one that can perhaps sort of go into that philosophical uh, philosophical arena um, uh, and I'll ask you the question next week and we can have a, a long conversation about if you were in the position of say steel side but I'm also of any player that's important to the team on the eve of a grand final and you're about to have a child do you choose to play in the grand final or do you not to be present at the birth of the child an interesting one and um, I'm looking forward to your answer next next week that has sunk right in Charlie and that's got my mind ticking at 300 miles per hour that is uh that is (laughs) that's a good question to ask and it's a it's a very 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 tough one and it's 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 a difficult one and we will go into that next week and uh yeah Yeah. that 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 that, that'll get our listeners thinking it's a very tough I might, one. I might just end. I was watching Footy Classified, I think, a week. It was last week. And I'm pretty sure Caroline Wilson, one of my personal heroes, um, asked Eddie that question. And in a rare moment where I um, was sympathetic to the stuff coming out of Eddie's mouth, his answer was when Caroline asked, um, what would you do? He just said, play football. Oh, fabulous. I think, we can, yeah. I think we can leave it on that. Yeah. That's, uh, we can leave it at that. Yeah. It's, it's great, Charlie. And uh, thanks for coming on the Sports Hour, our resident philosopher, all, the, all reliable, as always, giving us our great, your great thoughts. And uh, it's a pleasure, as always. Me. Thanks for coming on. You're great. You're a great host. And that was Charlie Gill, our resident philosopher. Always insightful and great to listen to. I hope you're really enjoying his company. Uh, that wraps up for today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, we've had a special guest, Mick McGuan. You can catch his interview if you've missed it 
on Spotify. For so jump on our Spotify page, the Sports Hour, and uh, you will find Mick McGuan's interview. Uh, also, we've got our polls on our Twitter page at Sports Hour FM. So jump on there and put your vote in. And uh, obviously, stay on our Twitter page, give it a follow and like, uh, and uh, keep up to date with everything happening in the Sports Hour. But once again, thanks for tuning in as always, and uh, have a great weekend. And uh, you're listening to the Sports Hour on Brimbank Live and Live FM. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>